Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Woo! How we doing, friends? Welcome to church today. So good to see all of you today. Excited to continue in our series on 1 Corinthians. And, and before I do, man, I just, I wanna echo everything that Pastor Dan shared regarding our honoring of the veterans. Um, if you're a veteran in this room today, we honor you, we thank you for your service. And I, I don't wanna go too much further without looking back just one week. Last Sunday was Baptism Sunday. And if you were here, let me hear you because it was awesome. So awesome. Got to celebrate the stories of, um, I believe, nine people who got baptized both during and after service, and just such a powerful moment to hear the grace of God at work in somebody's life. Such a powerful moment to hear what God has done. Jesus is still alive and he's still changing lives. And I want to connect this to something for you today. In Matthew 6, verse 19, really verse 19 to 21, Jesus exhorts his disciples. He says, hey, guys and gals, he goes, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy. He goes, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nobody can steal it, nothing can destroy it, it's eternal. And so Jesus is encouraging his followers to make eternal investments, eternal investments in the lives of others. And I just wanna encourage everybody that sows financially into this church, that gives generously to this church, and thank you to all of you that give. We have such a generous community of people, but every time you give and open your hands and give to the work in this church, you're sowing into stories of life transformation. You're sowing into the next generation. You're sowing into people who are putting their faith in Christ and who are gonna be with you forever in eternity. And so as we head towards year end, I want to exhort you and encourage you to consider Hills Church as a place for your year end donations. Maybe some of you have never given to a church before. Maybe some of you have attended here for a long time and never taken the step of generosity. And I wanna encourage you to take that step Today, there's multiple different ways to give, but especially as we think about the end of the year and coming down the home stretch here, God has blessed us this year, but I, I want to encourage us and exhort us to take one more step, to keep taking a step of faith in this area. And maybe for some of you, it's not just to step in for the first time, it's to step up and say, hey, I want to increase what I give to this church so that the message of the gospel and what we stand for can go farther, faster. Amen? All right, um, I'm fired up about today. <laughs> this is gonna be a fun one. It's gonna be a fun one. We're diving into 1 Corinthians again. Um, there's so much to talk about in this book. You know, we're three weeks away from our Advent series, so we're not gonna be able to hit everything. And as I was studying the final chapters of the book, I, I was really wrestling with the question, what's the most important thing on Paul's mind? What's the most important thing that he wants to get across to the letter, to the, through this letter to the church in Corinth? What's his big thing? What, you know, what's, his, what's the climax of his argument? He's dealt with a lot of things, and it became very clear to me what it was, and it was funny because it actually is in regard to a question that I think I've been asked more than anything else over the past year and a half. 
the one question that has come to me as a pastor, hands down more than any other question over the past year and a half. And maybe it's a question that you've asked yourself or been wondering about yourself. And uh, it's a juicy one. So here we go. Are we living in the end times? Where's Kirk Cameron? Is he in the room left behind anybody? Is this the end? <laughs> Is this the end? And, you know, I don't, this isn't one of those things, it's not just a hot button topic that I want to talk about. What's crazy is 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter we're going to be looking at today, Paul spends 58 verses on this topic. 58 straight verses. And in fact, if you look, if you look throughout the entire book of 1 Corinthians, he's referring to this all the way through the whole book. He's saying Christians have to live with the end in view. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to unpack 1 Corinthians 15, but we're also going to bring some clarity to some of the the bigger questions that I've seen floating around on Facebook about the beast, the mark of the beast, uh, all the fun stuff. So show up next week too. It's going to be so much fun. Um, It really is going to be awesome. You're going to love it. But um, here's the deal. This question is not new, okay? Okay. We're gonna answer this question today. Are we living in the end times? It's not a new question. It's been around for a long time. In fact, Matthew 24, just after Jesus finishes this huge dissertation on the end of the world, Matthew 24 says this, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When's this all going down, Jesus? When is this going to happen? Now, it's a pretty natural question for humans to get fascinated about. Humans love this question. They love it. And it's very natural if you think about it. Wouldn't you want to know how your life was going to end if you were living at the end of the age? Absolutely. I would too. Anybody would. This is an important question, and it's a big topic. I mean, I... You know, this is one of the foundational core beliefs of the Christian faith. If you're new to Christianity, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today and next week, it might sound a little bit like it came out of a Star Wars, Star Wars film, but we're coming straight from scripture and we're going to unpack Paul's actual argument around all of this. The reason we're taking two weeks is because Paul spends a lot of time on it, 58 straight verses. I already addressed that, dealing with the end of the world talks about the return of Christ, the resurrection from the dead, our resurrected bodies, God's total and final victory over the last enemy, death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, this is kind of the highlight of the whole chapter, says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The second reason we're going to hit this for two weeks and what we're going to see from Paul is that it's actually really relevant and really practical to everyday life. It's actually really relevant and really practical to everyday life. And the third reason we're going to hit it for a few weeks is because there's so much fear, confusion, and just strange theories floating around out there around all this stuff. And I want you to be anchored to the truth of God's word. I want you to be anchored to the truth of what God's word actually says about this. So many people um, use this book for so many different things. And they use it in the wrong way. And one of the wrong ways that we can use the Bible is actually to try and make it a crystal ball that tells us the future. 
It's one of the wrong ways we can use the Bible. It is not intended to be a crystal ball that tells you exact dates and times and all the different stuff about how it's going to go down in the end. It does give us some very clear, big ideas regarding the end of the world, but it's not intended to give you a perfect timetable, okay? Just to clear that up, that's not why it was written. But this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is defending to the Corinthian church who don't believe this. He's defending a literal, physical, and bodily resurrection from the dead for every single human who has ever lived. This is heavy stuff, right? This is not what we talk about or think about every day. This is, this is revolutionary stuff. He's talking about God's final victory over death, Final victory, not just spiritually defeating death and spiritually I'm alive. He's talking about a literal, physical resurrection of every human who ever lived defeating death. Every loved one you've ever lost is going to come back to life. That's what Paul is saying. Every world leader throughout history is going to come back to life. Every Bible figure you've read about, every great sports figure who has died, all of us are coming back and getting some version of an eternal body that we're gonna live in eternity with forever, either with Christ or not. This is where it's going, and this is what Paul is talking about. And friends, some of us have this idea of heaven, and, and the Greeks dealt with this, the Corinthians, they dealt with this, right? We've talked about this a few times, but I just wanna, I wanna clean the slate of your mind. Heaven is not just a place that you go to as a disembodied spirit with a white robe on where you sing good, good father every day. Some of you are like, that's my nightmare. I, I don't wanna admit this, but I don't wanna go to heaven. Heaven doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound like a place I wanna be for the rest of eternity, singing in white robes in a disembodied state, spiritual state. Paul is saying no. Heaven is a very physical reality. Heaven is coming to earth. The dead are coming back to life and they're gonna live in physical glorified bodies on a new earth where heaven and earth become one. And the life that we live is not gonna be some disembodied life. It's gonna be a physical life and it's fascinating, but there will be work, there will be jobs, there will be interactions and relationships and all these sort of things in heaven. It'll all be different but it'll be the way God intended it to be. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. And I think he captures it so well in one of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle. Here's what he says. This is Aslan speaking, the lion. And as he spoke, this is Aslan, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this, the end of all stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and which every chapter is better than the one before. 
the glory of heaven, the glory of eternity with God and the new heavens and the new earth. For Paul, it was not some throwaway idea. It wasn't some fringe topic. It was the center point. It was the thread that wove all of his thinking, all of his preaching, all of his ministry together. And I think the other question that we have to ask in this is if we are living in the end, we'll get to that in a second, how should we live at the end of the world as we know it? How should we then live? The point is not just conjecture and timing and when's it gonna happen, it's how should we live in light of this? And that's what Paul is talking about. So let's start with the first question. Is this the end? Social media algorithms that are controlling our minds and toying with our emotions, Elon Musk talking about uploading our brains to the internet and colonizing Mars, discussion of human cloning. You thought digital currency and banking was scary? Now we got Bitcoin and we're on the edge of one world currency, okay? Uh, famines, pestilences, plagues, diseases, wars, rumors of wars, global government lockdowns, mandatory vaccinations, all these sort of things, people falling away from Christian faith left and right. And here's the real goal of my sermon today, okay? I want you to pull out your phones, pull out your calendar, and mark down February 7th, 2022, because that's when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> I really hope that doesn't go viral. <laughs> I thought about making a slide with the date on it. I, I just couldn't do it. That's not the point. People made a lot of money off that. Preachers, slick preachers have made a lot of money off predicting dates of when Jesus is gonna come back. But friends, with all that I just read, with everything that I just read right there, all the stuff that we're facing, the reason, this is mostly the reasons why so many of these questions are coming my way. All kidding aside, I want to say this clearly, and the Bible is so definitive on this. Are we living in the end times? Yes. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. How can I say this? And it's actually not because of any of the things that I just read to you. It has nothing to do with any of that. How do I know that for sure? Well, let me read a few verses. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, it was written 2,000 years ago. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the sign, the undeniable proof that we're living at the end of the age is Jesus. The fact that he came and rose from the dead. That's the number one sign. We've been in the end times for 2,000 years, friends, okay? He goes on, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. This is writing to Corinth. Paul understood the time they were living in as the end of the ages, 1 Peter 4, 7, Peter gets in on the action. He says this, the end of all things is at hand. Again, 2,000 years ago, at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Friends, here's what you need to know. The countdown for Christ's return began when he rose from the dead. That's when it started. That's when the end of the age started. That's when the end times started. The first Easter morning was the beginning of a new world and the beginning of the end of the world as we know it. 
Easter was the creation of a new world and the beginning of the end of the world as we know it. I'll give you a little time, timeline right here. Biblical history starts with creation. Three chapters on that. Then you go to the fall, basically the entire Old Testament. We're still in the fall at some level, but not all the way. Then Jesus came, the first coming of Christ. He was raised from the dead, proving death will be defeated for all one day. The resurrection of Jesus is the central point. So it's the start of a new creation and death is spiritually defeated. For anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ, you're spiritually alive. His life counts for your life, right? So that's the beginning. And then the second coming, this has not happened yet, Jesus will raise everyone from the dead and death will be fully defeated. So heaven comes to earth and death is physically defeated. Not just spiritually, but everyone who was dead comes back to life to prove death has no more victory, no more sting. So if we're looking at all of the timeline of human history as a map, we need to know where we are. You are here, the end times. X marks the spot. Right in between the first coming and the second coming. We live in the overlap of the ages. We live right now in the, the already not yet. Already a new creation has been formed by Jesus. Already we can experience um, spiritual life through faith in Jesus. Already Jesus has conquered death but not yet fully. We still live, Romans 8, Paul says, the, the whole creation is groaning, is longing for the return of Christ to come and make all things new. We live in the overlap of the ages where we're still dealing with sin and death and brokenness. We're still dealing with a broken world, but there's new life that's sprung upon the world through the resurrection of Jesus that we can participate in by faith in him. And so we live right here, in the end times, in the overlap of the ages, and we're longing for the day that he comes back. Now, how do we know this day is coming? And this is what Paul, this is what he's trying to hammer home for all of us. How do we know Jesus is coming back? How do we know this? And how do we know everyone is gonna rise from the dead? This is what Paul wants everyone to believe, wants everyone to understand. So let's unpack what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 15. And friends, if you've been following with us, this letter is amazing because Paul, it's like a, it's like a busy, crowded street where all the issues are on it. <laughs> all the issues are just right there in the street. And you're walking down, you're reading 1 Corinthians, you're like, wow, division, unity, culture, sexuality, politics, uh, everything to how the church should gather. You have things like communion. You have uh, all, literally all the stuff of life. Singleness, marriage, scandals, idolatry, issues about food, you name it, it's here. It's this incredible collection of Paul's writing, but we can't miss this. Paul's conclusion in chapter 15 is literally the thread that ties the whole thing together. All the way through the book, he's showing the reason this is important is because the resurrection's coming. The reason we do this is because that day's coming. The reason I'm saying it like this is because that. The reason this is how you fight for your marriage and this is how you, you find contentment in your singleness and this is how you live your life around other people and this is how you deal with the culture around you. He's, he's arguing all of this in light of that. That's what he's doing here in the, the final chapters of the book. Have you, ever, have you ever had that thought? I've had this thought so many times, you probably have too. I wish I could just go back and do it over again. 
In light of what I know now, I wish I could rewind a few years and just do some things different in light of what I know now, because I'm, I'm living right now in the future of, you know, my three-year-ago past. And what Paul is saying, his argument here is brilliant. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if you could just rewind the clock and buy a few shares of Apple stock when it first started, or Tesla. Name it. At this point, a Bitcoin, right? Whatever. Imagine. Imagine you could rewind to any point in your past, knowing what you know now about the future that you live in, and you did some things differently. Knowing what you know now would change the way you spend your money, your time, your life, your relationships, everything. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm giving you the ultimate spoiler alert, the the key that unlocks all the doors, that changes everything. I'm telling you how it ends. And I want you to believe it at the depth of your core because if you do and if you know this day is coming, And if you understand, heaven is so much better than anything you can imagine because heaven is coming to earth, new heaven, new earth, and you're going to function as you were originally designed with a glorified body that will never die. 1 Corinthians 15 says, imperishable and powerful. Forever. This is where it's headed, and if you know this, it changes everything about right now. It changes everything about today. The problem with the Corinthians and what they were facing and what Paul was dealing with is they were still separating the physical and the spiritual. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They had this notion that, hey, when the body is dead, it's dead. I become a disembodied spirit and I live in eternity with God. That's what's next for me. And Paul goes, no, your body is gonna be raised back to life. What you do with your body matters. Your whole entire person, what you do with your whole person matters. Humans are integrated beings. They're not separate. You can't separate your spiritual from your physical life. And so like a master attorney, Paul begins to build his argument. And here's where he starts in 1 Corinthians 15, verse one and two. He says, now... I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless unless you believed in vain. So he's about to build his argument for resurrection. He's about to bring the whole thing together right here. He's about to bring the whole story to a conclusion. He goes, let me start off here, the gospel. Don't forget this. This is the foundation of everything, of it all. You're saved by grace. You were saved, you're being saved by your faith in Jesus Christ through grace alone. Nothing of your works can earn it. Nothing you can do can earn favor from God or lose favor from God. If you have put your faith in Christ, it's pure grace. It's the good news of the gospel. That's why we're all here. Grace. He goes on because this is so important. In the very next verse, he says this. For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, the most important thing, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was, and here it is, raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. 
Look, we're about to get into a discussion on end times. People love to get fired up about the end times. And Paul goes, it's important. It's really important. But it's the key facts about it are important. But the first most important thing, the thing that, that preempts everything else is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel, it's the most important thing, of first importance in Paul's mind. Jesus is Paul's lead story. Friends, the best thing, and this is, this is so true for Paul and has to be true for us, the best thing about the new heavens and the new earth is Jesus. Seems like I probably didn't have to say that. <laughs> but I wanna get down to the bottom of this because at the end of the day, for Paul, for me, for all of us, it's not just about believing the right facts about Jesus. Those, we have to have the right truth of who Jesus is and why he came and what he's about. But when you boil it down, the question is, do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Not just, I believe the right things, I can put it all together, the end times, I've got it. No, do you love him? That's the question at Paul's heart, first importance. Jesus died for you and rose again, defeated your enemy, death, your greatest enemy, so that one day you'll live too. Is there something in your heart that just says, thank you, I love you? Paul said it like this, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, but indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection." The power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul goes, Jesus is worth more to me than anything else in this life. And friends, that's the key. That's the foundation of your faith. It's not a stoic, detached faith. It's a vibrant faith filled with love for the Son of God. And so Paul starts here. He says, the most important thing is that he died for your sins and rose again. And then he goes into defending the resurrection in verse five, 1 Corinthians 15, five. He says, and then, and that, this is Jesus, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Paul is saying, I'm telling you, this isn't a fantasy, it's not a fairy tale. I know dead people aren't supposed to come back to life, but he did, and he physically appeared to a lot of people most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. We'll deal with that word asleep in a little bit. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul is saying, he really did rise from the dead. On that first Easter morning, when Mary saw him, he was physically there. Some of us had breakfast with him by the sea, right? He's like, he's alive, it's real, and this changes everything. Paul is putting together the entire worldview of this whole thing around the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He goes on. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, if this is what we preach to you, if this really happened, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? This was a problem in Corinth. Some of you, they were saying there is no resurrection of the dead. 
We don't even need a resurrection of the dead, Paul. When we die, our body just goes to the dust, where we came from, and our spirits go to heaven. We don't need a resurrection of the dead. And he's like, that's wrong. That's completely wrong. That's not even remotely, remotely what the resurrection of Jesus is trying to prove to us. How can you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He goes, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He keeps going and he's just hammering this point home. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. He literally, futile. It's pointless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're dead too. They've perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, in this life only, meaning there's nothing for our physical bodies coming down the road, we are of all people most to be pitied. Living the Christian life is a pitiful way to live if you don't understand where this thing is going. That's what he's saying. It's futile, absolutely pointless. He goes on. Why are we in danger every hour? Why would I do this to myself? This is not fun. Why are we in danger every hour? He says, I die every day. What do I gain if I fought with beasts in Ephesus? Think about that. Think what Paul has been through. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul's like, guys, if, if this isn't happening, if Jesus' resurrection doesn't mean we're all rising and there's a new heaven and a new earth coming, throw it all out the window. Take it all and just trash it. This is the center point of everything he's trying to get across to us. And he goes, look, the proof that he's coming back, the proof that all of us are going to rise again is that he rose, is that he rose. He goes on. Absolutely phenomenal as he dives in to verse 20 through 25. He says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised. Don't believe the lie. Christ has been raised from the dead. And he says, this is so important, this word, first fruits. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul won't even give death the dignity of calling it death. He's like, no, they're just sleeping. It's temporary. They're gonna wake up one day. Anybody who has died is going to wake up. He goes, they're just sleeping. It's temporary. He's the first fruits, the first one to come back from sleep. Death is a temporary state. That's what Paul is saying. For as by a man, think about this. This is incredible. As by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. One man came death. Through another man came the resurrection of the dead. He keeps going. For as in Adam, all die. He's going back to the creation passages in Genesis one through three. He's like, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Because now we're talking about a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth that Jesus is gonna build. He's gonna reign and rule. He goes, as in Adam, all die, he transitions, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. He's, he's putting two things together right in front of us. Death and life. Death and life. All of us, all of us are born into Adam. We started where Adam left off. All of us began where he left off. When he turned from God, 
When Adam turned his back on God, he separated the entire human race from life. And so the only way to get reconnected with life, the source of life, is in Christ. In Christ, all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. So we're in between the ages. Christ was the first fruits. His resurrection from the dead was proof that we're gonna rise at his next coming, at the second coming. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. And this is important. It's something I think we just have to understand. The way this whole thing works is Satan is the deceiver, is the father of lies. He whispers into our hearts and our minds that God's way, God doesn't have the best intentions for us. God's way is not the best way. You'll find happiness elsewhere apart from God. God's way is hard. The road is narrow. There's a dying to yourself every day that you have to enter into. There's way more happiness and joy offered over here. He's constantly deceiving people away from the Father, from Jesus. When he deceives you to step away from the Father, from Jesus, that's called sin. And it separates us from life. John 1 says, Jesus is light and in him is the life of man, mankind. In Jesus' life, Satan comes along, deceives us to, to separate ourselves from life, and ultimately that produces death. That's where death comes from. And in Adam, all have died. And Paul is pleading. He's begging. He's saying, choose life. There is a solution. You can't get away from death. It's coming for all of us. We've seen so much of it. It's coming for all of us, but there is a solution. There's a reversal, and it's in Christ. There is a resurrection coming, says Paul, and he is pleading with the Corinthians, as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. The great reversal, the great reversal of all history. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, he delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want us to think about this for just a second. What Paul is saying here is so remarkable. He says, look, if there is not a physical bodily resurrection for every human who has died, it's like God is actually making a truce with death. He's not defeating death. You see, death is an unwelcome intruder on God goods, in God's good, in God's good world. It's an unwelcome intruder here. It's an enemy of all of us. And what Paul is saying is, unless there's a physical resurrection where every dead person comes back to life, then God has not fully defeated death. He's just made a gentleman's handshake with it, a truth, a truce. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, and that enemy is destroyed at the resurrection. I love what N.T. Wright says. This might be hard to read, but 
I'm gonna read it for us. Christianity, you see, isn't a set of ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It indeed gives energy to all those things, but at its very heart, it is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe in it and live by it will, thank God, never be the same again either. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. It's an amazing thought. There's an event that's happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that changes everything. So my question is this, how then should we live now? We're living at the end of the age. That's the big question has been answered. Yes, you're living in the end times. Does that mean Jesus could return at any moment? Maybe, there's debate. <laughs> Do all the nations of the world need a translation of the Bible in their language before he returns? Does, does a witness need to be made to every nation, tribe, and tongue before you're there? There are certain conditions on the return of Christ that we're gonna look at next week around, is it possible? But we have no idea what God is up to in all the nations of the earth. He may already have a witness there before we even know it. We have no idea. And the Bible is clear, he will come like a thief in the night. So be ready, keep your lance burning and be watching. We're called to watch and wait and be prepared for the coming of Christ with hopeful expectation as all things are going to be made new. And I'll invite the band out as we end with this, but here's how Paul ends his entire chapter. He says this, I think I've got it in here. First Corinthians 15 at the end of this, my, my reference is wrong. Therefore, my beloved Brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he, he goes 58 straight chapters on. Here's how it's all going down. Therefore, wow, Paul, that's a lot of big information. My mind's kind of blown right now. You laid out a, a whole bunch of really intense stuff. You know, the world has never heard anything like this before. Now what? He's like, okay, my, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Knowing that the good things you do in this life for Jesus will follow you into the age to come. Knowing that the investment and sowing into the work of God now will actually go with you. It's not in vain. The way that you love your spouse, the way that you serve others, the way that you live as a witness for my kingdom, all the good things will go with you into the next age. That's what he's saying. Therefore, and I love what Martin Luther says. He goes, Martin Luther said, there are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. This day right now and that day. I'm always living right now in light of that day. And he said this, if I believe the world were to end tomorrow, tomorrow I would still plant a tree today. So right now, the call is to work as under the Lord. Love for the sake of Jesus. Be a witness where you are in this world right now, knowing you're living at the end of the ages. Absolutely. But also knowing there's a day coming where every tear is wiped away where the longing, the groaning inside of you that says it's not supposed to be this way is proved right and you're given a new resurrected body. And the question that we all have to answer for ourselves is simply this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? 
That's the key for Paul. We're gonna dive into some more of the questions regarding the end times next week, but I want you to just feel the, the central thread of Paul's thought here as we unpack 1 Corinthians 15 and remember that at the end of the day, it really does come down to love. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends. It's the point of it all. So we're gonna take communion together. It's amazing because in 1 Corinthians 11, a few chapters earlier, he says every time you take communion, you're declaring the Lord's death until he returns. You're declaring the Lord's death until he returns. That's what this moment is. You're reminded that he died for you and rose from the dead, that you're saved as a free gift by God's grace, and that one day he's returning to make all things new. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray for anybody in here who maybe has not yet experienced the grace of God or maybe for those in this room today where this sermon or this reality of resurrection felt somewhat out of left field or like something they couldn't relate to. But Father, I pray there would be deep assurance in our hearts that because you rose from the dead as the first fruits, it means we will rise one day too. The beginning of our story is is still to be written in eternity with you. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you loved us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.